this morning, I am going to be preaching to you from the book of Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 63. Um, but in his book uh, called Might from the Margins, Dr. Dennis Edwards argues that marginalized people uh, have a lot to teach the church in America about how to live as faithful people of God. And so in his introduction, he writes this, the power of marginalized people is frequently overlooked by the dominant culture. Even so, we who have been in the shadows have power to reshape American Christianity by telling the truth about how we understand and perform the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I highly recommend this book to you. He goes through and he talks about different um, key levels, or not levels, areas where people of color, people who live on the margins um, can speak directly into the church. But see, I think that this idea, this notion of um, listening to marginalized voices and of marginalized voices speaking truth, I think that that is one of the, um, the, the, the pluses of a church like ours. Because this becomes a space where we all get to hear those truths, where we get to be exposed to different images of God, different ways of relating to the spirit, different ways of understanding God's activity in the world and in, in, in the earth. And we get to speak those truths to each other from whatever margins we stand on. We get to speak those truths to each other. And so one truth that I believe black folk can tell is that we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. The story of our people in this country has positioned us in such a way that we have tasted and seen that we are, in fact, going to be all right. It's not all right, <laughs> but we're going to be all right. I believe this is a deep knowledge and a truth that has been passed down from generation to generation. There's a lot of uh, research right now about trauma, right, and how we hand that on, right? It can get in, it can alter our DNA, and we pass that on from generation to generation, but there's something else that we pass on, and that's resilience. We pass on, <laughs> A, we can survive, and we can do more than survive, we can thrive. We as a people of color, and we're not the only people who can speak this truth, but I'm a black woman, and so this is what I can speak very, very, very uh, uh, confidently and knowledgeably on. We have a truth to tell the American church, which is that we are going to be okay. We are going to be all right, better than all right. We are going to thrive because we serve a God who is good. It's a truth that lives in our bodies. Now, let me say from the very start that where I am not coming from this morning is that we are a, a people who can say, let's just smile, grin, and bear it. Amen. We are not a church that believes in that. <laughs> we believe in total well-being. Your mental health matters. I am thankful that in this church there are men and women, and all over in the church universal, there are men and women of God who have been called into the field of psychology and psychiatry who can walk alongside folk who need more than um, what some platitudes, right? Who might need some medication, <laughs> who might need somebody to sit and listen as they talk it out, who might need somebody to walk them through some exercises, as uh, Dr. Elizabeth showed us at the last, the last uh, workshop that we had, all kinds of new ways of incorporating the body. There's levels of healing, and there are people who have been called by God into those places to offer that kind of healing. So that's not what I'm, I'm doing here today. But there is a truth 
to a deep knowledge that resides in your body, that is resilience, that says, I have tasted and I have seen that we're going to be all right. I know that for some of you, that could be triggering. There are some of us who grew up in spaces where you, you heard every Sunday that somebody was blessed and highly favored. <laughs> well, what I want to propose to you is that while some of those blessed and highly favored were probably over-spiritualizing stuff that maybe they might have needed to talk to somebody professional about, <laughs> some of those blessed and highly favored were exactly that. I am speaking to you a deep truth that I know in my body that it's not okay right now, that my circumstances are very difficult, but I am in fact blessed and highly favored. And so when you ask me how I am and I tell you that, I'm not just giving you lip service, I'm telling you what I know to be true. I'm speaking that over myself and I'm speaking that over you. I am blessed and highly favored. It's a truth that is deeply rooted in our bodies and in the word and in experiences that have allowed us to taste and see. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Deeply Rooted. So we're going to look at Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. And I am going to sort of move us through four um, spaces, four movements that I see in this text. The first is being in the desert. The second is when you have tasted and seen. The third is so yet will I trust you. And then the fourth, my whole being clings to you. So when you are ready and as you are able, you can stand for the reading of God's word. So beginning with verse one, it reads, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the richest of foods, with singing my lips. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wing. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is the word of God. Be to God. Amen. You can have a seat. So there is um, a beginning line that, that's kind of under the verse when you, when you get to this psalm. I'm sure some of you saw it in your Bibles. And it says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. That line right there ought to change the way you read what follows from that. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David was in a desert, like an actual desert. I say this, I think, almost every time I preach, whenever I uh, read the word, because there's a way that we interact with Scripture where everything becomes metaphor. 
And because the, the cultures that we're reading about and the time that we're reading about is so far removed from us, it's often hard for, to, to like be in that spot. When, when was the last time somebody here was in a desert? Right? No, we've, been, we've not been in no deserts. <laughs> and even if you have spent time in a desert before, you weren't in a desert like this. Like, you may have gone to Arizona and um, <laughs> just, like, enjoyed this. And it was hot, right? And maybe you, you know, but you, you weren't, like, walking through the desert like, like this. He's in a desert, and he's not just in a... It's not like he woke up one morning and was like, you know what? Where I want to be right now is the desert. I'm just going, let's just go see what the desert... No, he is in the desert because he was fleeing from Saul. God had come and chosen David and said that you are going to be the king. This man has not been honoring me. And so I have appointed you as king. And Saul, who was the present king, was like, I don't really think that I like that. And so Saul had been chasing and pursuing David for years. And so David is not just in a desert. He is running from, for his life. He is fleeing someone who desires to kill him. See, our circumstances, our situations are real. <laughs> the, the words that David says sound beautiful. My soul thirsts for you. I, in a dry and weary land, some of us may have said those very things. It wasn't metaphor for him. I can imagine David walking around that desert literally thirsting, hungering, desiring, and, and using that experience to then think about his relationship with God. David's psalm is directly related to where he was. He was in a dry and weary land where there was no water. This was not a metaphor. And David makes a choice about what he will do in that dry and that weary land. There are a number of ways that David could have responded. I dare say there were a number of ways that David did respond that we might not have um, a record of. <laughs> That's just, I'm just throwing some things out there based on what I know of humans, right? Like there are a number of ways that David, it probably took some time before David got to the point after he had walked around in that dry and weary land where he could come to this place, but he makes a choice and his choice is song and this is his song. So what song has your situation birthed? What song is your situation birthing? What things are not metaphorical to you? I loved it last week. I think it was, it might have been two weeks ago. So at some point in the relative near past, Pastor David was preaching a sermon, and he said this, that we have gotten to a point when folk, we know, we ask, how are you doing? And all of us, right, it's become commonplace to be, you know, we're in a pandemic. We, we, it gets general, right? We're all going through. It's just these are hard times. All of that is true. But there's some specific ways that you might be going through. <laughs> there's some specific things, some specific situations that may have absolutely nothing to do with this global pandemic. There's some ways that you are, there's some actual physical deserts that you are walking through. What song has your circumstance birthed? David says, earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
See, the reason this is significant is because having been in the desert, being in the desert, he was very well acquainted with what it looks like, what it means to look for water. That's a limited resource in the circumstance that he was in. And so he understood what it meant, what it felt like, what it looked like to desperately be seeking, to be thirsty and desperately be looking for actual water. I have not been that thirsty in my life, but the little bit of thirst that I have experienced, I know it's not anything that is fun. Deserts are dry and weary places. He was looking for the evidence of moisture. <laughs> He was looking for the evidence that there might be some water somewhere. What are you looking for in your desert? What are you looking for in your circumstances? What evidence do you need to tune your eyes to see? Let me make it plain. We serve a God who says that I am always with you that I have never left you nor forsaken you. We serve a God who says that in all things I am working for your good. We serve a God who says that I am the one who gives good gifts. If you can give good gifts to your children, how much more so would I be giving good gifts to you? We serve a God who has told us not to worry, that his eyes are literally on the sparrows, that he closed the lily, so we should not, that's the God that we serve, that's the kind of promises that we have had. Are you looking for evidence of that? Because that same God has said, taste and see. That same God has said, I'm not the kind of God that's just gonna tell you a bunch of stuff and then say, trust. He could, <laughs> but he says, taste and see. I am constantly showing and revealing. I am always at work. Are we looking for the evidence of our Savior in our circumstances? If you believe that God is with you always, if you believe that he has never and is not going to forsake you, then are you looking for the evidence of his presence? It's a posture. It's a choice. David chose to seek after his God, to even in that dry and weary land, look for the evidence of his God. Not just believe <laughs> that God is doing something, although I'm sure he believed, but to look for the evidence of it. And this brings us to the next movement. When you have tasted and seen. In verse 2, the language that David uses um, denotes a, a vision, a prophetic vision. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. The language that he uses there uh, that is translated as seen is, is the same language that is used throughout the Old Testament when the prophets would have an encounter with God where they, they literally got a, a prophetic word from the Lord. Again, not metaphor. <laughs> David is recalling now because he's made a choice. He is seeking the evidence of his father. He is seeking the evidence of his God in that dry and that weary land. And he recalls now the ways that he has interacted with God in the past. He is recalling the things that the Lord has spoken to him. He's recalled those moments that he's been with God. And God has said, hey, look, I called you. And I said, you are king. 
So if God called me and said, I'm king, then you know what? I'm going to believe that I'm not going to die here in this desert. David is looking for real life evidence and he starts to recall it. See, I think that that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It's a posture and it's a choice. We are in the midst of crazy times and all of us are going through something. Even if you, it, you we all been through something. I'm going to go ahead and stand on a limb and say everybody in here, maybe your good is outweighing your bad right now and hallelujah and glory to God. But for a whole lot of us, we've been walking in a place where either the good and the bad feel pretty even or that bad is just tipping the scale, right? We are all going through something. What has God spoken to you? What has he, not, not just a, a, a for everybody word, what are the specific ways, the specific things that God has been interacting with you that has spoken to you? What can you stand up and say, I am choosing to believe? Everything around me is saying that the contrary is true, but I am going to choose to believe that what you have said, what you have spoken, is in fact what is real in my life. And let me just say this. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit will bring to mind the, the ways that we have encountered God, the things that God has spoken, and the truth that he has revealed. That does not just happen alone in your prayer closet. It can happen alone in your prayer closet, but you're going to need more than alone in your prayer closet. At some point in time, you will need some other folk to come around you and also remind you of what the Lord has said. You're going to need to open up your mouth and share with somebody what you're going through so that they can speak something, because that might be the way the Holy Spirit chooses to remind you of what the Lord has said, right? So David, even though, yes, he is in his desert, and he is walking, and he is by himself, and he is recalling, and he is mustering, know that the Word of God, that most of what we read in Scripture, the promises that the Lord has given us have almost always been for a whole people. Even the promise that God had given David was for a whole people. Yes, it was for David but it was for the people of Israel. And so you are not in it alone. There are circumstances that feel very isolating. David was walking through an actual desert. <laughs> but even there, David was not alone. There were people who went into the desert with him. I imagine that when David burst out into song in my little holy imagination, there's some folk who were sitting in the desert who were not quite where David had gotten yet because they were just hot and thirsty and tired and in a desert. And they hadn't been named by God to be king, but that's fine. But I'm in the desert with you and we're walking around. I just imagine when they heard that song, that encouraged their soul as well. It encouraged their spirit as well. You are not walking through the wilderness alone. You are not sitting and standing in your circumstances and situations alone. I don't care how much it might look like that. That is just not the truth. Because our God has told us that we have been made a part of a body. He has told us that he has given that body everything that it needs for godliness and holiness. And so I believe that you are not alone. I am not alone. Have you tasted and seen? What have you tasted and seen? What do you need to remember? What do you need to be reminded of? Our God is real, and our God is kind, and our God knows us. And he knows that bless our precious hearts. We are not a I-can-just-believe-it kind of a people. We're going to need to see something at some point in time. What have you seen? What have you tasted 
and seen. And after you have tasted and seen, when you have been reminded of what you have tasted and seen, then the posture that we can then enter into is, so yet will I trust you. There's some things you have done for me, God, in the past. And you know what? For a moment, I forgot. (laughs) For a moment, I was believing that all that I had was this sand. For a moment, I was believing that all that I had was I'm thirsty. For a moment, I was believing that all I had was that it's hot in the daytime and it's cold at night and I can't get comfortable and I'm running for my life. For a moment, I believe that was the truest thing. But thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me that that is not the way you have ever dealt with me before. And so now, yet will I trust you. I am still, in fact, in a desert. (laughs) I have not moved. David did not sing a song and then get transported outside of the desert. He still had to walk through. He still went through many, many, many experiences and trials of that crazy man chasing him and trying to take his life. But yet, will I trust you? Right now, the things have not changed. But you know what has changed? I have. Because I see differently now. Because I've been reminded by the Spirit. I've been reminded by my brothers and my sisters. I've been reminded that I do, in fact, have hope. And so I have changed. My posture has changed. And so, yeah, I'm in the desert, but I'm going to walk through the desert a little bit different. Because I know I'm not going to die here. Because I have tasted and I have seen, I can declare that yet will I trust you. Because I have been reminded of who God is and who I am, I can yell, yet will I trust you. Yet will I trust you. I will cling to you. And I will know that your right hand upholds me. This is a posture. And it's a posture that takes practice. Because there are times when I, with all the confidence that I speak to you with now, that's how I move through my circumstances. And then there are times where I'm like, Jesus. And I have to again be reminded. Being reminded requires a couple things, though. It requires being open to the spirit first and foremost. It requires being submitted and surrendered so that you can even hear what's happening. And it requires being vulnerable and surrendered and submitted to each other. Because sometimes I just can't hear. Sometimes I need a human voice to tell me the truth. That's another thing that I love about this church. Because we get to submit and surrender to each other what God did, our Father, our, the one who loves us. That's why we have a church. Hey, you ever wondered that? Like, he, he doesn't need us to be together in order to worship. Like, we could just literally worship him all by ourselves. <laughs> but he decided to make us a body, a family, a church. He decided to say that I am calling you to be in relationships with each other, the kind of relationships where you are submitted to each other. 
where you walk alongside each other, where you don't just do what you want to do because you felt like doing it, where, where you are accountable to some other folk. That's how I've set up my kingdom, where people are, are dependent on each other, where you can't possibly know me fully if you don't have relationships with somebody else. Where you can't possibly serve me fully if you don't have neighbors that you can love like yourself. That's the kind of God we serve. And so sometimes that posture, it requires practice that involves all of us. I need y'all to notice when I'm not standing like this. I need you to notice when I'm looking more like this. (laughs) And I need people who can come alongside me and say, what's going on? and remind me of who God is, and remind me of who I am, and remind me of what God has said to me. And that means that I have to be vulnerable enough to tell you what God has said to me. (laughs) I have to be vulnerable enough to share with you the things that I believe the Holy Spirit is showing me, and the things that I believe the Holy Spirit is is leading me to and guiding me to. I got to open my mouth and share it so that you can share it back to me. It's a posture so that we can all say, yet will I trust you. And this brings us to the last movement. My whole being clings to you. So to give God praise, and David is talking about that, I will give you praise. My lips will sing your praise, right? But to give God praise the way... um, But the Hebrew people understood this. It wasn't just about saying flowery, flowery words to God. It wasn't just about heaping on to the Lord, you know, affirming words and saying all this wonderful stuff to God. It was an embodied thing. Now, what do I mean? Yes, it was embodied. Yes, they raised their arms and folk would lie prostrate. It was absolutely embodied in that way, but it was more than that too. The way you gave God praise was to live like you believed God was God. The way you gave God praise was to live in accordance with what the Lord said his character was, was, right? Like, if I am calling myself a child of God, then the way that I ought to move through the world is a way that, like, people who look at me would know something about God. That's how I give God praise. I move through this desert. I move through my circumstances. I move through my life in such a way that when people see me, they will know something about God. That is how we praise God. Conversely, a way that we blaspheme God, it wasn't just using bad words, right? It wasn't just saying things out of your mouth that were offensive to God, but it was living in such a way. I call myself a child of God. And I'm living in a way that, you know, when people see me, they're going to think some things about you, God, that just are, in fact, not true. It was embodied. It was how we move, how we carry ourselves, how we live. That does not mean, hear this very clearly, that does not mean that we walk around happy, happy, joy, joy, because that tell, I'm a, I dare say that's blasphemy. <laughs> because that communicates something about the God we serve that is just not true. That we serve a God that is going to just make sure that we never experience any kind of hardship in our lives. That we serve a God that somehow, even though we're here, has just raptured us up into some other dimension where we don't know what's going on. Because I'm just happy all the time. I'm just happy and happy. That is not the God that we serve. So what does it mean to actually cling to God, to worship him, to praise him? What does it mean to practice that posture? It means that we practice being honest. 
that moment by moment, day by day, yes, David, I don't know if it was a Tuesday when he sang that song. It would not surprise me if by Wednesday he had to be reminded of the song he sang yesterday. And that's okay. Because <laughs> that's who we are. We serve a God who did not choose to make us automatons. <laughs> we serve a God who has not chosen to just remove us from everything that might be painful or hard or difficult. We serve a God who says, I am doing something in you and through you in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the trial. And so I will, as we talked about before, I will sometimes keep you in the valley. You're in the desert. You're going to be in the desert for a little while because there's some things I am working in and out of you. And so our posture is to cling to the Lord, moment by moment. I love the way uh, this, these verses end, and it's, it's easy to miss it, because it can all start, sort of sound um, like everything is high, right? Like David starts, and he's, you know, okay, yeah, he's recognizing he's in the desert, he's in this dry and weary land, but by the time it ends, it's just all good. But it's not. What does he say in verse in seven? He says, look, I think of you in the watches of the night. Now that can sound great, right? But that means he's not asleep. What does that say to you? <laughs> That's restlessness. That's yes, I just sang your praises and I, just, I was reminded of who you are. I have tasted and I have seen. My posture has changed. But you know something? Th then that night when I went to sleep, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I was still a little bit restless. I was still struggling. And so even then, I had to once again decide I'm clinging to you, God. I'm going to think of you. I'm not going to go and dwell on, on what is bad. I'm going to, again, try to make myself see clearly and refocus my lenses so that, yes, I'm in the desert, but i got to remember who I am and who God is. It's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. So do not beat yourself up if on, on this day you are like, yes, and amen, and tomorrow you are like, oh, my gosh, what am I going through? It's okay. You reach out to somebody. You remind yourself of God's promises. You remind yourself of God's word. We live like God is who he said he is. We can go ahead and show to each other and to other folk who are like, yeah, I'm struggling right now. I know I'm not going to always struggle, though, because my God is good, and he is faithful, and he is kind. Sometimes we are in real life deserts. <laughs> Often we are in real life deserts. And those are the moments where we as the people of God are invited to taste and see that our God is good. We are invited to stand and declare that we will trust God. Yet will I trust you even in the midst of my storm. And we are invited to be reminded that we do this over and over and over again. And that's okay. And you are not by yourself. And so in a moment, we're going to receive communion together. And it is my prayer that as we receive communion, and even before we receive it, as we read the liturgy, I invite you to really hear it today to hear it and be reminded of what this meal represents. That you and I are not out here by ourselves. 
that our call is not to, in our own prayer closets and in our own personal time, get it together so that when we come together, we can be our best selves for each other. That we are called to come to a table exactly as we are that we are welcomed exactly as we are, that we are seen very clearly. God does not need glasses. He knows who you are. He knows what you are going through, and he loves you. And we are called to love each other, to be for each other God's hands and God's feet, to minister to each other when we're walking through those deserts. So I hope that you will be encouraged as we receive communion today, that you are not by yourself that you do have a God who says he will never leave you nor forsake you, and that God resides in the bodies of the people who are sitting right next to you. You are not by yourself. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you because you are good. (laughs) You are always good. And I thank you that I don't have to just believe by faith that you are good. I know you are good. I have seen your goodness in my life. I have seen your goodness in the lives of the people who you have blessed me to walk alongside. I thank you, Lord, for the ways that you provide for us, even in our deserts. I thank you for every promise that you have given us. I thank you that they are yes and amen, and that you are not a man that you would lie. So teach us, oh God, how to practice that posture of even in our dry and weary lands, remembering what we have tasted and seen and declaring that we trust you. Teach us how to do that not by ourselves, by sheer force of will. Teach us to rely on the body that you have placed us in. I thank you, God because that is your desire for our lives. And so I know that that answer is yes and amen. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus, the only name that is powerful, the only name that can transform, save, and deliver, the only name that can set free, and in the name in which our confidence is rooted. Amen.